0: Good morning. My wife told me not to read this. So I'm blaming you. But I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'll take the beat down afterwards. <laughs> but you guys know, I watch news all the time, and. Uh, Football, sports, all the time. Those are two things I watch. But as I was watching the news, the Wall Street Journal had a poll. And it's a poll in the shift of American values and ideas. In 1998, patriotism was 38%. Well, no, in 1998, it was 70 percent. Now it's 38 percent. Having children dropped for 59 percent to 30 percent. Religion fell from 1998, that's not too long ago from 62 percent to 39 percent. We need a revival. Us Christians, we need to live holy lives, godly lives, so that the unbeliever will uh, will see our light. I want to, and they didn't tell me to say this. They probably not don't want me to say this. But Gary and Sherry Jervis, they lost their daughter. This week, young girl, came out of nowhere, goes downstairs, has a headache. That was the end of her life. So I want you guys to continue to pray for the Jervises. That's tough. Only God can, can get through that pain, get them through that pain. So keep them in your prayers, please. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we might not, well, I know we won't get started on it today. You, You guys know I love history. I'm right up front. But as much as for any other document in the New Testament, and more so than most as you read, the various sociological, economic, and religious factors that make up the environment of the city of Corinth have a profound influence. That's why we're getting the history on our understanding of Paul's letter to the church there. And that's why we are going to take our time and study it. Because when you are truly in Christ, all of the social mores, all of our commonalities should be cast aside. There shouldn't be any... Financial gap when we come together. Oh, I make more money than she does or he does, so I can hold my nose in the air. There shouldn't be an education process that we think we're better than other. All those things, status or even ethnicities, when we are in Christ, they're swallowed up. Our identity is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have in common. I look around and, and I'm just going to tell you, sometimes I say, if I wasn't in Christ, I probably would never hang out with Pastor Jonathan. He likes Marvel movies. I like DC movies. I shouldn't hang out with him. <laughs> but because the one thing that matters more than anything else, color, race, anything else, We're in Christ. I have a family. Love them. But I tell my mom all the time and my two sisters, if they weren't in Christ, I couldn't be as close as I am. I I really take the lead and I make the point that my family, my Christ Jesus family is more important to me than any family. And that's this letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians is all about. That's what it is. Paul is, and I'll let you know up front right now, you might not see this the way I see it. I've read commentaries after commentaries after commentaries, and I kept digging, and I finally found one that agrees with me. Don't, isn't that what we do when someone agrees with you? You stick with them. <laughs> well, I finally said, that guy knows what he's talking about, (laughs) because that's what I think. But just listen to me. Paul is at war with some in the Corinthian church. That's why he writes these letters. Corinth was strategically situated on a little neck of land that we would look at as southern Greece. It was almost an island but it wasn't an island, it's called a peninsula. And so that entire southern region, that large mass of land, was connected to the main body of Greece by a narrow piece of land they call the Isthmus. It was only three and a half miles wide, and that's where Corinth was situated. It was perfect for traffic going into southern Greece and going slightly from north to south, connecting those two seas together. So all of the foot traffic would go on the main road, and all of the ocean traffic would go to those two little ports on that neck of land called the Isthmus. Now, that little Isthmus was very important. It posed a problem and a solution, really, for ships sailing from one sea to the other. So if you're on the Aegean Sea wanting to get to the Adriatic, you either had to make a stop at the port or you would go around. Now, remember, it's three and a half miles wide. So they would have to unload all of their ship's cargo, transport the cargo over that three and a half mile land to the other port and then load all their cargo up again on another ship or else you could take your boat they would lift those boats if they weren't too big a size out of the water out of the ocean and put them on rollers and roll it the three and a half miles and then when they got there they would load it on another ship my question was why not sail around it's a 200-mile trip if you sell around. So three and a half miles or 200 miles, you take your pick. I like quick action, so I would go through the land. Not only was it a longer trip, but it was a much more dangerous trip. That southern body of Greece, when they would go around the edge to the, they called it the uh, Malaya Cape, they said the storms were so tough there and the winds were so boisterous there that they would destroy the ship. So that's another reason they would go over the land because of the handwood. So finally, they cut a canal through. Nero tried it, but he couldn't do it. It wasn't until 1893, which is not that long ago, they made a canal. Now you can just go across the canal. It's called the Corinthians Canal or the Isthmian Canal. But I want you to listen to me to the Corinth, their history, because it makes, it's going to make a difference how this book will go. Corinth history is essentially two parts. As a Greek city-state, it flourished both before and after the golden years of Athens in 5 BC. But as leader of the Achaean lead in the mid-century... It came into conflict with Rome and was destroyed by the Roman council Lucius Mummius in 146 BC. The site lay dormant for a hundred years until it was revived in 44 BC by Julius Caesar as a Roman colony. That's what it was. The reason for its refounding so quickly was twofold. First, once again, it's that strategic location for commerce made it rebound almost inevitable. All of the necessary ingredients for economic boom were available in Corinth. A natural defense, the Acro-Corinth map, it was a huge mountain. You had adequate water supply from springs and the relationship to Rome, being masters of those two harbors we talked about from east to west. So the commerce would go there. And control of the Isthmian Games. Now, the Isthmian Games, I had heard of those. They would come around every two years. And so, they were really in contest with the Olympics. But they still had the Isthmian Games there. Second reason, Corinth was repopulated. And this makes it very important, by free men. And what they would do, those people who were in prison, they would let them go. Or they were slaves and they became free men they would take all of those people and ship them to Corinth. Hmm. So they didn't want them in Rome. Rome often tended anyway to be overpopulated with such, but a convenient way to get rid of them, they would take all of the free men and send them to Corinth. With that prosperity, when it returned, because Corinth was situated in, in such a strategic location that it was going to be a boom town anyway. Since money attracts people, like dead meat attract flies, Corinth was always going to be revived again. And that's what happened. The West and East, along with all of the attendance, gains and ills of such growth. The Romans, of course, they were there. They were dominant. They brought with them not only their laws, but also their culture and religion. Now, the Romans' world had been thoroughly Hellenized by this time. So it wasn't a great shift of, 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 uh, a great shift of I can't think of the word, you want to help me out, Lydia? <laughs> that' will word. culture. exactly. Because remember, the Greece had, they had religion, they had philosophy, they had the arts, and from the East were also the mystery cults. So they had a smorgasbord of all of these religions there. And so it was a good place God knew to go. Thousands of builders, thousands of slaves were there. They made up the bulk of the population and they prospered. But as often happens, in such centers, you have vice and religion. They always go against one another and they flourish side by side. Corinth had gained such a reputation for a sexual vice that Aristophanes coined the verb Corinthianizo. And whenever you heard that, it was to act like a Corinthian. It was to commit fornication. Sexual sin, there was undoubtedly in abundance. But it would have been anywhere when you had men and women, uh, the sailors coming in from the sea, and you had such vast of opportunities and money, they were making money hand over fist, So that wasn't a big surprise. But Pasiona said describes at least 26 sacred places. Not all were temples devoted to the gods. Many the Roman and Greek pantheons and many the mystery cults from Egypt or Asia all settled in Corinth. So if you wanted to seek the one true God, you would have a hard time finding it in Corinth. That's very important. We have to understand that this is Paul's second missionary journey. And it seemed that the Holy Spirit, I've never understood that, kept shutting the doors as Paul went after he had the Jerusalem council. He says, hey, let's go and see how other places are doing. And so Acts 16, 6 and 7 says this. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia... In the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, there it is, by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's mind-blowing to me. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. I don't know about you guys. I'm glad I'm saved. Paul tells his friends he sees this vision and he says, "Let's go for it." They said, "Let's go for it. Let's go to." And so they after they came to Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. After Thessalonica, they went to Berea, and finally they get to Athens, Greece, with all of the so-called philosophers, philosophers at the Areopagus, where Paul stood. Remember in Acts, and, and Paul at this time. Paul was, he was, I would say he was down and out because he had went to Mars Hill and he switched up a little. He didn't preach the gospel at Mars Hill, and not many were saved. A few was. So he had determined when he got to Athens, he was going to preach the gospel. That's what saves a man or a woman, a boy, and a girl. It's not SpongeBob. It's not uh, any of those cartoons, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when he gets there in Acts 17, 22, 23, he tells the, the guys at, at, at uh, Athens this, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and they had many, I even found the altar with this inscription To the unknown God. Paul is very wise. He says, Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So he leaves Athens, and then he goes of all places to Corinth. And he will spend 18 months there in Corinth, planning the church, teaching the people, evangelizing. Rick Shabelsky would have loved that, and just doing many other things there. And he meets a couple, a Jewish couple, in the synagogue one day. And they had been in Rome, but Claudius Caesar, remember, he had put out this edict in Acts. And he he wanted all the Jews to leave from Rome, so they had to leave. The providence of God. When you think things are going bad in your life, if, if you are a believer... Just keep walking, and God will show himself strong. I'm going to testify to my son. We might be here for a while. But anyway, my son Anthony, he called me on the phone this week, and he said, Daddy, I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm doing all this thing. I'm doing the right thing, and nothing is turning out. And I said, Bright, sometimes, you know, you just have to push your way through it. God tests us. Are, are we gonna stick with him? Are we gonna be are we gonna be faithful to him? And I talked and I, I talked to Anthony for about two hours. He's crying. He said, Yeah, I'm gonna follow the Lord and I'm gonna do this. And he didn't even tell me when Friday came, Lydia told me, because they had he switched companies and he hadn't got paid yet. And so they were needed he needed his back pay and the house was due and all this. And he said, I'm gonna follow the Lord. And sure enough, the checks came. He got his money more than he thought he would get. And that's what God does. He, he, James says he does test us sometimes. What are we going to do? Are we going to flunk the test? Because you'll go around that mountain until you pass it. God is faithful. So even when Paul went to all of these other places, God knew He was finally going to end up in Greece, and he was going to testify to Jesus Christ. But he meets these two Jews when he went to the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla. They had come from Rome because Claudius Caesar had put out an edict that all he's sending all the Jews out. You had to leave Rome. So they left. How do you think Aquila and Priscilla felt having to leave their home? They go to Corinth. Of all places, they go to Corinth. Paul, God is directing Paul to go to Corinth. So when he goes in the synagogue, he meets them. So he has two friends there. And of course, they start talking about Jesus Christ. But the thing I want us to know about what was happening in this time, they were speaking of a man by the name of Charestus. And many scholars believe it was a reference to Jesus Christ. And it's a reference for the Jews coming to know Christ. And they were very hostile towards them in Rome. So that's why they had to leave, even though Claudius told them to leave, they were in a better place in Corinth. So they meet Aquila and Priscilla at Corinth. So he goes to the synagogue, Paul does, and it's always the first place Paul would go to. Even though he was sent to the Gentiles, he would always go to the synagogue. And so he was preaching Jesus Christ. Things haven't changed because they didn't like that. So he shares the gospel, and he gets kicked out of the synagogue. Remember that in Acts 17? And he moves his operation. You'd think he would go far, but he only went next door. And he goes to the house of a man by the name of Justice. Now, the ruler of the synagogue at this time, his name was Crispus. We'll meet him in the first chapter if I ever get started, but I won't get started today in there. He comes to faith in Christ, and Paul will baptize Crispus. The Jewish people continue to stir up the people against the Jews. And then the next guy that comes on the scene who rules the synagogue, his name is Galileo. He was the governor also. And so... When Galileo came there, Paul stands up and he tells them in Acts 18, 14, 16, if it were, this is what Galileo tells Paul because he was preaching the word. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reasons why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be judged over such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. I like Galileo. He he believes in separation of church and state. I like that. So the Jews were very upset by this ruling, and they took Crispus and they beat him. And then they get this other guy, which we will find out in the first chapter. His name is Sothenes. Crispus comes to the faith. Sophanes comes to the faith of Paul's teaching, and they're not the, leader, the head of the synagogue any farther. And then Paul plants this church. How did this happen? 1 Corinthians is kind of an impromptu response to the situation that had developed in, in the Corinthian church. Between the time Paul left the city, sometime in 51 or 52 A.D., And the writing of the letter, approximately three years later, Paul addresses in his response, he's writing to the church of Corinth. Paul has stayed there 18 months. He leaves, he goes there, and then he writes the letter. Remember the people that has made up this Corinthian church, all of the people that's in Corinth, all types. But Paul writes them a letter, and it says this, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There's arguments. You guys are arguing all the time. First Corinthians five, 1 Corinthians 5.1 tells us this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Paul had been there for 18 months. He leaves. These things are happening. And then in chapter 11, verse 18, it says this For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. All of these things are happening. 1 Corinthians 7 1 tells us Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, this is what you wrote me about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman if you're not married. Let me stipulate that. Paul says it's not good. But in every case, his concern is for the theological stance and their behavior. For the most part, historically, these matters were resolved. As such, this letter has usually been understood as a response to their division in parties. I don't think Corinthians is about Paul responding. They could have been a little goings-on between cliques and other things. He says that. But the main response Paul is having, they don't care for Paul much anymore. They're upset with Paul because Paul is telling them the truth. A church that he has planted, they're wanting to get rid of him. So we begin the reason why. Why do they want to get rid of Paul? It's my opinion there is some form of internal division in the church, and I'll prove it to you. He says it's evident from these three passages. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12 says this, Now I plead with you, brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. I love those two words, perfectly joined is cartatizo. And it means it's a mending word. It's when you fit something together. Matter of fact, I love that word so much. That's why I named the church, uh, Galatians 1.6, uh, spiritual, restore, restore. Galatians 6 says this, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. That, there's the word, kartatizo It's a mending word. It's when they mended their nets together. If a bone is out of place... They would set it back real easy. So he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, Paul says, No division among you, but that you perfectly join together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me, Paul tells them, concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions, arguments, conflict, altercations among you. Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And then he writes in, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You're saying you're, 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 you're walking in the spirit, but that shows you're carnal. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Then he says in verse 5, so then neither he who plants, and I love it, is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. He continues to write them in chapter 11, 18, and 19. He says this, for first of all, when you come together, so he's getting on about something else now, as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, he says, I believe it. For there must also be factions, which are cliques, people are together, Click together, they don't talk to each other, among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. This division is at least getting to the movement of socioeconomic lines. This guy makes more money than me, so he doesn't want to talk to me, so the church is divided. And Paul's response to their abuse of the Lord's table, and we just read that. He says there are factions, there's cliques, some people don't have enough food, you're not sharing your food with them. And Paul gets on them about that. But this is what I want you to know. Paul loves this Corinthians church. Paul birthed the Corinthian church. They're only upset about one thing. And that's they say they are spiritual. Spiritual. I've been living a good little while, and people in the church, people, some people will always act like they're better or they're more spiritual than you. That's what the church of Corinthians are doing, and Paul is saying you should not act this way. If you're spiritual, everybody knows it. You don't have to prove your point, because I go to a movie. You might say I'm not spiritual, but the point is let God be the judge, and so These people who are walking around saying they are spiritual, they don't want to hang out with the common folks. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He lets them know that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. There it is. Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. I love Revelations 5, 1 through 3, because if you have that problem, you'll have to get it straightened out before you get to heaven. It says this, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Every ethnic group will be there and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. So their beef, whether it's also along spiritual or theological lines, doesn't matter. It is probably wrong to envision the church, this Corinthian church, as split into parties. I don't think that. Since nothing in the letter itself gives us that or hints towards that, the language and style of Paul's letter is rhetorical and combative. Paul is upset. Paul is taking them on on almost every turn. There is little to su- suggest that he is either informing or merely correcting. Instead, he is attacking, the Paul, Paul is, and challenging with all weapons in his literary arsenal. I could see him just writing and writing. Of course, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. If 1 Corinthians is a response to their letter in which they are asking Paul to arbitrate between them, then one must judge him to have misread it because he's not doing that. The letter is addressed entirely to the whole church. It's no one else. With no suggestion that he is speaking to one group of people and then to another. If Paul were settling differences among them, one would expect at least some word to that effect, but there is none. So these factors together suggest that the traditional viewpoint, I think is lacking at the crucial points. So my basic stance is that the historical situation in Corinth was primarily of one conflict between the church and Paul. I'm not saying that the church didn't have other things going on, but Paul writes this letter because he's upset with the church and the church is upset with him and Paul is trying to get them back in line because Paul had written the letter you shouldn't be uh fornicating, you shouldn't be acting crazy at the Lord's table. And they think Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's what he says. Remember when Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. He wants that to be known because the Judaizers would always, not only the Judaizers, they would go behind Paul and say, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Everywhere Paul, every church he went to, they would come right after him and say, Paul doesn't know. So that's why he writes this. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Galatians 1.11 says this. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So he's in conflict with the parishioners at the Corinthian church. Because they are beginning to think Paul is not a true apostle. That's their big, and Paul is not spiritual. That's their big hang up. The key issue between Paul and them, which created both of these crises, by the way, most likely had to do with the Corinthians understanding of what it means to be spiritual. That's the hinge. That's the hinge key right there. These guys are in the church, and they're thinking they are spiritual, and Paul's not. They, they basically say that. That's the storm's eye. Spiritual is the word pneumaticos, and this is what it means. People of the Spirit. We're in the Spirit all the time, Paul. We don't know about you. Belonging to the divine Spirit, belonging to God, the Holy Spirit, one who is filled and governed by the Spirit of God. They're saying Paul is not filled with the Spirit of God. And this letter records Paul's third dealing with this church. The most logical understanding of these relationships is that the present letter is the third in an exchange of letters between Paul and Corinth. So Paul's first association with them was the finding, the founding visit. He, he gives them in Acts 18, 1 through 4, and this is what it says. When he first comes there, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, they were tent makers, he stayed with them and worked for, worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. A couple of years later, Paul was in Ephesus, and he wrote what he calls his previous letter, that makes two, to the community, mentioned in the present letter, Five nine. this is what it says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral. We don't know what prompted this letter. Paul at least dealt with some matters there of sexual immorality. He told them not to associate with fornicators, by which he intended that they should not associate with brothers who were acting in such way. He also mentioned, remember he mentioned covenants, robbers, and idolaters. But it's clear from chapter 1 of Corinthians that the Corinthians themselves have at least misunderstood the letter brought by Stephanus, Fortunus, and Akikus. That's a tough name. And Akikus, that's in 16, 15, 17. Now, given this combative nature of so much of his response, it seems highly that in their letter they have taken considerable exception to several of Paul's positions or prohibitions. Paul's attitude toward their letter and toward the Corinthians is further exacerbated by an oral communication from some believers from Chloe's house. They have come down, who has got Paul's attention with information about what's going on in Corinth that Paul suspected from there, but now he knows it's happening. Now that Chloe's people have come down, Paul must be very careful. He's walking a tight wire right now because Paul has said, you can do this and you can be that and you can do that, speaking of the body of Christ. But now Paul has to put, push his authority back on the table and they're not gonna take that so well. On the other hand, He must convince them to change both their theology and their behavior to conform to his since they are moving toward positions that threaten the gospel. I want you to understand that what Paul is going back to Corinthian for, to, to straighten this church out, was just as important as when the Judaizers, when Galatians, the Judaizers, were trying to take over in Galatia. It's just as important because both of them they would get their, your eyes off Christ. And this is what he says in Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, then what you have received, let him be accursed. This is just as important, Paul says, as much as him writing to the Judaizers. The data makes it clear between Paul leaving the church, recorded in Acts 18, 18, and his writing of our second Corinthians, some bad blood has taken place in Corinthians. The tensions apparently comes to a head and is, and is unexpected. He makes to them, our letter indicates that the problem had already been brewing before that painful visit. The question is, where does 1 Corinthians fit into this scheme? It's definitely coming from the opposition, and it's led by some of the people in the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, this is what Paul writes. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So they're talking about resurrection of the dead. They're talking about uh, being led by the spirit. And Paul is saying, you guys, it doesn't matter what matters if you're walking in the spirit. If I'm walking in the spirit, I won't be criticizing everybody. I will be walking in the spirit and telling you, thus saith the Lord. And that's what Paul himself is doing So Paul, they're worried about his authority. They don't want him to have authority over them because of this word called uh, pneumaticos, a person of the spirit or a prophet. This is what Paul says. If anyone thinks himself, this is why he writes it. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So Paul is saying, You think you're spiritual so much, but all of this inside working is going on, y'all can't get along. A spiritual person would handle it. And Paul said, That's who I am. But remember, Apollos, he had come down to the church, and they and they were, they could have been crazy about Apollos. It's, it's okay because Apollos at this time he knew the full gospel of Christ, but Apollos, he was speaking, they loved him because of his voice and the way he could uh, speak to them. And they thought he was more suited than uh, Paul. And Paul, he didn't care about what they thought because he was going to do what he would do anyway. And so when Paul comes, he says this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to you. The problem is they were leaving the gospel and they were relying on the wisdom of man. They thought Paul could speak, uh, uh, Apollos could speak so well. And Apollos was speaking the truth, but others were coming And they were speaking of wisdom. What about wisdom? We need because they were crazy about Sophia, which means wisdom. And so all they were thinking of, uh, Apollo's has great wisdom. Some of these other teachers has great wisdom, but Paul, all he wants to share is the gospel. And Paul, when he would speak, he must have had a a, a terrible voice because they said his voice is weak, and his and, and his physical body is despicable. So he was down there and he was teaching and he was with a terrible voice, but he was teaching the word of God. That's why Paul says what he says in, in third, the third chapter, verse one, he says this, and I, brethren, since you guys think you're so walking in the spirit, he tells them, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual. And that, that's the hangup. If you don't get anything else, that's the hang up in the church of Corinth. They thought they were spiritual. I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. They were acting like babes. He says in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, for his letter, this is what they say about Paul. They say are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. That's what they say to this man who's planted the church that God called him to. And, of course, they repelled at the actions of Paul when he got there because Paul, when he got there, he wasn't speaking about Sophia. He wasn't speaking about wisdom. Paul says in 1st chapter, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, he had just come from Athens, or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. That's why he keeps bringing wisdom up, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I know a little about the wisdom of men. I've told you about Ogmandino and these other great salesmen and all. And if you can think it, you can believe it, you can achieve it, and all those things, and that's, that's foolishness. Nothing changed Victor Samara's life but the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he came in, I knew I didn't have to have anything else. These guys were arrogant. They were lofty, and that's why Paul says in 421, or should I come with a rod or in the spirit of gentleness? Paul is a little upset with them. But there's, what they're really doing, they're setting in judgment of Paul. Imagine that. A guy who is filled with the spirit, a guy who has planted a church and, and trying to get it started and worked very hard, they're thinking he's not spiritual. 1 Corinthians 9, 3 tells us, my defense, Paul says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Uh, chapter 10, verse 30, but if I partake with thanks, this is their beef. Paul is not full of the spirit. Paul works with his hands. They would have enjoyed uh, Osteen if Osteen would have made it, been great as their preacher. Because they said Paul works too hard. They said Paul uh, uses his hands. If he was su- has such wisdom, he wouldn't have to be a tent maker. He didn- he wouldn't have to do any of those things. That's why Paul says. But if I partake, and then they said, and Paul is he's he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. We see him at the agora. We see him at the marketplace, and he he's eating with. Only Jews, only brothers. And then we see him again, and he's eating with non believers. What is Paul doing? But these spiritual people don't know the word of God. Paul is doing what he's supposed to do. Jesus said, You can eat with anybody. If the only person you can't eat with, if your brother in Christ is not living a godly life, Paul says, You shouldn't eat with them. So if I go eat with the unbeliever, believe me, I'm trying to lead him to Christ. That's what Paul is doing. But these so-called spiritual people in the church, they see Paul, but they don't know their word. So when Paul does something different, they say he's messing up. And so that's why Paul is so frustrated, because they should be reading their word, because it's plainly In 1 Corinthians here, it says in 1030, but if I partake, Paul says, with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? For the food over which I give thanks. Paul says, you can eat anything if you give thanks. Even if you're with an unbeliever, it does not matter. Just don't eat with a believing brother who's not acting like he's a brother because we want him to repent. Not that we're better, we want him to, to repent. And then they get on Paul once again, because he's working with his hand. He's not taking pa- patronage. Paul says, I'm a tent maker. I can build my tents. I don't need anything from you. And they say, Paul, you shouldn't be working with your hands. You're, you're a wise guy. Let us give you things. Let us be patronize you. And Paul says, no, it's not like that. So once again, these people in 1 Corinthians, that's why it's so important. They think they know, but they don't know. And that's why Paul is frustrated. And the reason they don't know, they're not studying the word. They think wisdom, Sophia, will make you spiritual, but it will not. Only the word of God, only yielding, only obeying the word of God, you become spiritual. So they're upset with Paul, and we'll see it. We'll start on that next week. We'll see it all the way through the letter. And Paul loves the Corinthian church, but they hate him because he's trying to tell them the truth. A man, Jesus said, a man trying to tell you the truth and, you, and you're wanting to stone me? People don't like truth these days, but we must proclaim the truth of God. We must. The worship team can come up. We'll get in Corinthians next week. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. It's your word, it's your word, it's your word. I'm reminded of that time being, being in Atlanta at a Christian bookstore. And me, Lydia, and Anthony was talking, looking for uh, just some good books. And we heard these two or three girls begin to say, Creflo Dollar says this, if I, if I can believe it, I can have it. I can have that card. And they were just debating and just saying everything that Creflo has said. And they were looking for books like that. And it broke my heart. I said last week, if we don't give our life to Jesus Christ for only salvation, when things don't come like we think they should, we'll turn away. Jesus Christ bled and died that we might have eternal life. And if that's why the, to keep us out of hell, if that's not the reason you gave your life to Christ, you can mark this down. You're on shaky ground because somehow you will be tested and you need to be planted on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He came that we may have eternal life. He came to save us from our sins. And Lord, I pray, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I pray that those that are listening truly have, has a personal relationship with Jesus because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. If we just give our life to Jesus and follow him, we will never be disappointed. Lord, thank you for coming down to this earth, giving your life for our sins. Thank you so much. And may we live holy lives to show you how much we care and we're thankful for what you did, Lord. Corinthians is going to be a great book, but Lord, it does not matter if we're not following you. We're not being obedient to you, and none of us are perfect. We're not, we don't obey you with everything, Lord, but we're walking in a sphere of righteousness. That's what every believer should be doing, and that's what I pray for every believer that we would walk upright with Christ, hold his hand until he calls us home. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's close with the song Standing Close.